And ladies and gentlemen, this man right here, uh, he don't need an di- a introduction. He don't need to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, as far as uh, how popular he is. You know, he's a popular guy. 1979 interview. And I'm just going to let you hear his voice. And the first thing you're going to say is, she's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to say, she's right. There are some people who feel that a person such as yourself has been on stage since the age of five has grown up in a fantasy that your life is a fantasy. <laughs> uh, I have seen many worlds, not just one. I mean, imagine from the age of five, you've been able to create a whole world. That's true. It's, uh, it's how I feel. Your family was not wealthy when you started out. You were pretty young. I don't know if you would remember. Were there a lot of sacrifices involved? Yeah, we weren't wealthy, but we weren't poor. My father always prepared for the family, as well as my mother. Always wonderful. And that's very important. They made sure we, you know, got the right things for ourselves. Strong parents, are, I think, are very important, especially in our situation. If he hit me, I would hit him back. <laughs> which was terrible and they would I would run around the house and hide and all that stuff but I would really get it more than anybody do you think your father was too strict? yes no, he's gonna kill me uh, he's gonna get you still worried about <laughs> that, <right? laughs> uh, well he feels that he was strict I'm glad he said it now I'll say it, yes <laughs> did he? What does it feel like to see that? People yelling, Michael, Michael. I'm two different people on and off stage. But I formed a personality that's, uh, that's me. And I can't get away from that. It's just, just the whole overall thing. Is, it's, it's hard to deal with. It really is. It's, it's, a, it's a hard situation. And it's something I have to put up with. You've always been Michael Jackson on stage. I guess. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hard situation. It is. And it's something I have to put up with. <laughs> it must be hard to have real friends. Yes. Do you feel grown up? I've been around grown people, you know, since I was five. I mean, on tour backstage with all the musicians and the singers and... I feel grown up for ages for a long, all my life. There's other kinds of sounds of music that I love to do. I'm going to stop this interview right here. And I'm going to bring it back once I find out you have pressed that golden star at the top of this podcast. That's right, that's right. I I will I will put it away and save it and once I find out you have been listening, I will bring it back. You know, I was I was wondering, you know, if she could keep on because the force has got a lot of power and it makes me feel like it, it makes me feel like <laughs> Thank you.
unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, we lost Michael Jackson, the talented entertainer, June the 25th of 2009. Yes, he departed the earth 2009. Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, we lost Michael Jackson, the talented entertainer, June the 25th of 2009. Yes, he departed the earth 2009. What we do around here is uh, the people that has died that I enjoyed during their life as far as what they left behind, their music. Um, someone that, that I feel that should be added to my podcast and shared would you would hear here. So I am going to continue the interview because I have never heard it before myself. This is my first time, so you will you get to enjoy it as well. I've been around grown people, you know, since I was five. I mean, on tour backstage with all the musicians and the singers, and I've, I feel grown up for ages, for a long, all my life. There's other kinds of sounds of music that I love to do. It hurts what is inside of me, and it can't get out, and it's hidden from the world. Studio 54. Why? Why is it your favorite? It has a wonderful feeling. When I walk in there, I just get so excited. The lights and the people. It's just like almost like going to a play, a performance. I usually go there, and Liza's there, Liza Minnelli, and she pulls me out on the floor, and we get to dance, and, and that's just, we just have the time of our lives. Brooke Shields is supposed to be there. Uh, Chic is one of my favorite groups. I like songs that touch the heart and that stay with a person for a lifetime. And that's what's important to me and to the people. And that's what I'm here for. And I get things done the way I want them to be done. Are you willful? In what way? I mean, are you, you have your own ideas of what you want to do and you, you're going to do them? Oh, yeah. I deal through feeling. And then you want to act on it? Yeah. Actually, you become like a stage addict. I really am. Like when there are off days and there is no show, I'm up at night dancing just to sing. It's really strange. I guess I'm an addict. Can't help it. I think a man is a person who achieves his goal and make all his dreams come true for himself and for the people. And what you enjoy the most about being on stage is? It's a great question. So I feel I'm doing my job. And that's what makes me happy. So we're getting, we're feeding one another. And it's a wonderful thing. Michael's not here. I let things create themselves. So that's a bit to be, it'll happen. Uh, I believe in the force. And um, it'll tell me when. He wanted his music to make a difference. He wanted his music to heal. And it did, ladies and gentlemen. And I would like for you to join me in another episode Ladies and gentlemen, this is Aretha Franklin. Close up, 1968. Listen to this interview. She is one of my favorites. There is a unique kind of music in America called soul. 
perhaps having the greatest impact on popular music today, is the soul sound of Aretha Franklin. You never know. Come In different periods of our history, it's been called different things. Spirituals, jazz, blues, rhythm and blues, gospel. It's a kind of music with intensity of feeling that bridges the gap between religion and entertainment. And whereas Detroit is proud of its native daughter, and whereas she's everybody's soul sister, therefore I, Jerome P. Cavanaugh, mayor of the city of Detroit, do hereby proclaim Friday, February the 16th, as Aretha Franklin Day. On behalf of the editors of Cashbox and its publisher, George Albert, I take great pleasure in presenting to you the Cashbox Achievement Award for 1967. You finished first in singles, first on albums, and first in rhythm and blues. Aretha also won all the awards available to a female vocalist in Record World magazine. If you enjoy interviews like that, and you need to go ahead and join my podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Aretha Franklin. Close up, 1968. Listen to this interview. She is one of my favorites. There is a unique kind of music in America called soul. Perhaps having the greatest impact on popular music today is the soul sound of Aretha Franklin. You never know. Come In different periods of our history, it's been called different things. Spirituals, jazz, blues, rhythm and blues, gospel. It's a kind of music with intensity of feeling that bridges the gap between religion and entertainment. And whereas Detroit is proud of its native daughter, and whereas she's everybody's soul sister, therefore I, Jerome P. Cavanaugh, mayor of the city of Detroit, do hereby proclaim Friday, February the 16th, as Aretha Franklin Day. Aretha, on behalf of the editors of Cashbox and its publisher, George Albert, I take great pleasure in presenting to you the Cashbox Achievement Award for 1967. You finished first in singles, first on albums, and first in rhythm and blues. Aretha also won all the awards available to a female vocalist in Record World magazine. If you enjoy interviews like that and... You need to go ahead and join my podcast. Oh boy, I, oh boy, I have received some great messages, let me tell you, from some great people. We are supporting each other. We are doing great on this Anchor app because we are the star. We are stars. We're I mean, it's just great. But anyway, let's finish listening to the Aretha Franklin interview. I'm going to lay back, relax, and listen to it. And if you would like to grab you a snack, get you something to drink, popcorn, uh, potato chips, 
Maybe even cut you up an apple and put a little peanut butter on it. It's up to you. There's only one thing that I can really say, right? And that is, looking out. She reaches that common denominator in everybody that needs to be reached by a vocalist, I guess. I've still got to find out who and what I really am. I don't know yet. I'm trying to find the answer. One unique thing about um, gospel songs, 
They always sell. There's no date on them. It's a church type of singing, religious type of singing. It has a universal appeal because it says something that most people feel. And uh, most people respond to it because of its uninhibited expression. Ladies and gentlemen, Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin uh, died August the 16th of 2018. It, it, it seems like we lost her not too long ago, you know. It, it seems like it hasn't been that long. But anyway, she departed August the 16th, 2018. Aretha Franklin in full. Louise Franklin, Aretha Louise Franklin, born March the 25th, 1942, in Memphis, Tennessee. And she departed August the 16th, 2018, in Detroit, Michigan. Now, we will continue listening. is still a gospel singer. Listen me. Oh, yeah. Listen me. Yes, he Thank you. 
gospel to me has a lot more movement to it and a lot more of what I feel is so. A lot more feeling. It says more than this. This is, yeah. <laughs> I'll play this, this phrase. Well, I'm not a jazz pianist, but I'll get as close to it as I can for you. chords in the gospel than they are in the other two. The jazz, I think, would be more fingering. As much soul, it could contain as much soul, but more fingering than chords, I think. From a singing family, my brother Cecil is assistant minister, and we sing together at church. The type of singing that we call gospel singing is a kind of a tradition among, traditional type of thing among Negroes. Uh, it seems to have. Uh, originated in the South, Southern Negro churches, and of course, when the Negro began to migrate to the Middle West and the North and the East, he took his music with him. Let's please, uh, please remember that this interview was done up close and personal, black and white, in 1968. They did things differently then, and they said things differently then. So, I will uh, continue this at a later time. You have a great day, and thanks for listening. Yes, today is December the 10th on a Thursday. December the 10th on a Thursday. And I'm going to pick something out for you and me to listen to. Uh, I really do hope your day is going well. And uh, me, myself, uh, would like to continue listening to the Aretha Franklin close-up, 1968. And... <clears throat> Let's let's hear let's let's listen. Let's listen. Um Aretha uh kinda inherited that uh tradition, that religious culture. He coached me a lot in uh singing, taking my time and working with the song, different things like that. And uh, after traveling with him, I uh, 
I gained a lot of experience on the road with him. Then uh, I decided I wanted to change fields, so I let him know. And uh, he felt if this was what I wanted to do, then this is what I should do, and that he would help me as much as he could to get into the field of rhythm and blues and pop music. Here, have a trisket. Bring on the zest. With in the studio i'm I, I don't particularly too much uh care for that i'm gonna speed it up just a tad let's see what's going on now that, uh, sound. Uh, a lot of times where the band was right i felt i was wrong or not giving or living my lyrics enough so you keep going over takes until we're both you know together you smile when you smile you know you got it Ladies and gentlemen, let us meet Miss Aretha I sound so much like her, but I'm not going to sing right now, you know. I hope you enjoyed it. I will be coming back with some more music from Aretha Franklin <clears throat> and everything. Uh, I'm, waiting on dumb, uh, I'm waiting on Pizza Hut man to get here. I ordered me a pizza, and I'm waiting for him to get him with it, and I'm going to tie it up when I get here. I can't wait. All right, y'all have a good day now. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, we have here another American Bandstand favorite, 1964 interview with none other than... None other than Little Richard. Got a lot to talk about. Now, 
You have traveled all over the world. You have seen so many of the artists. Of the... I want to ask you about other people before we get to you. You've worked with the Beatles, have you not? I've just finished a tour with the Beatles. In fact, I toured with the Beatles right before they made their first hit, and I was the star of the show. You wouldn't believe it. No, I could believe it, but you mean um, they weren't heard of at that point? They have never made a record at the time, and I accepted them on my show through Germany. I was, I was with them for 15 days. In fact, I made this picture here uh, let me see uh, with the Beatles, and uh, that was the red before that they make out their start. And look, th look at Ringo here. He's changed a good deal since then. Yes, he's a wonderful person. Let, let me turn from the Beatles to uh, other English artists. They're all doing your material. They're doing Chuck Berry's material. Of course, they're doing their own. Who's the biggest star in England right now? Uh, the Rolling Stones. Really? Yes. They, they, have they taken over from the Beatles? Well, uh, I just left England about four weeks ago. I did, did a tour over uh, in England and Germany and all, and the Rolling Stones, they're number one in England at the present time. People here beginning to talk about a group called the Animals. What are they? I've just finished a tour with the Animals. And uh, that sounds kind of funny. <laughs> I've just left them. I was with Chuck Berry and the Animals just about four weeks ago in England. And the Animals are really, to me, they are the best group I've ever heard. Now, here's the thing that I was getting at. You and Chuck have kind of taken England by storm. How do you feel about other people borrowing your material? Well, uh, uh, Dick, I must be truthful. I'm very grateful to know that my material is uh, the type of material that the entertainers today would like to use. Good. Now, let's turn to you, specifically in this country. You're working on the Hollywood Palace with Steve Allen. You're going out on tour. You're going to go up to San Francisco? Yes. Uh, well, uh, my first date uh, uh, with my tour will be September the 11th. I'm going to appear at Hollywood Bowl along with the Beach Boys. Well, that'll be a guess. And this is in September? September the 11th. And then you go up to the Cow Palace. Cow Palace in Frisco. Then I go to Carnegie Hall for uh, Mary and Kay. Oh, it's going to be a guess. I got to catch you along the way. Will you spend a few minutes at our autograph table? I'd be very, very glad to. Nice to have you with me. Thank, Thank you. you. Little Richard, ladies and gentlemen, we'll join you at the autograph table. We'll be back in just a moment. That's right, boy. It seems like old times having Little Richard on the show. And speaking of old times, just a reminder that next week, next week, American Bandstand celebrates its seventh anniversary. Boy, it doesn't seem we've been around that long. Seems like just yesterday. And you'll be seeing some of the old faces of uh, some of the regulars from back in the Philadelphia days. Eight years. We go into our eighth year next week on American Bandstand. Right now, to help keep your breath fresh and your teeth clean, here's Dick with a message about dentine. All right. I had to take a little break here. Uh, I'm back now. Uh, well, I feel like listening to a little Mary Wales. You beat me to the punch. <laughs> yes, yes. You beat me to the punch. That's what I'm going to listen to.
Esther, Mary Esther Wells, May 13th, is the day that this great record dropped. May 13th, 1943, to be exact. 1943. So that's been a while. And I hope you enjoyed it. Ladies and gentlemen, let's have, let's have a new a uh, news segment. Let's have a news segment. Uh, now I believe in keeping up with the news and stuff like that about what's going on. About four hours ago, sixty minutes, uh, as a matter of fact, has something to say. You pay what we pay. Employee pricing for everyone is on at Glenn Smith. The biggest discounts on Chevrolet. Sutter got big enough that it could use its market power to dominate, to dictate. It was abusing of its power. The suit accuses Sutter of embarking on an intentional and successful strategy of cornering much of the market in Northern California and then jacking up prices. For example, on the price of delivering a baby. You live in Sacramento, you can expect to pay twice as much to deliver that baby here than in your hometown of New York City. I actually heard that it costs more to deliver a baby here in Sacramento than anywhere else in the entire country. Why Sacramento should be the most expensive place to have a baby, I, there's no way to explain it. Hmm. Just in case you missed it, or just in case you're catching it just like I am, uh, here is Viola Davis. We're all familiar with Viola Davis. She's an actor. And let's listen to what she has to say. Uh, the 60-minute interview. Let's see what's going on with this. The triple crown of horse racing is hard to come by. Same goes for the triple crown of acting. That's an Oscar, an Emmy, and a Tony in an acting category. Of the 24 performers who've pulled off the feat, Viola Davis is currently the youngest and the first African-American. On stage or when the cameras roll, Davis will rip your heart out, but with a surgeon's touch. She doesn't overwhelm so much as she inhabits a role. Perhaps because of this classical approach to the craft, she didn't vault to A-list status, but rather worked her way up letter by letter. Her next performance is Davis in Full Ascent. She headlines a Netflix movie out later this month, adapted from August Wilson's Canada Plays. At age 55, Davis put on weight and padding, put in gold teeth, and plays the irrepressible title character in the film Ma Rainey's Black Bottle. The story will continue in a moment. Wow, that did that. Boy. <clears throat> I, yeah, I heard about that movie. Uh, it's supposed to be coming out sometime this month, I think. Uh, I sure like to see it. Uh, I got to finish. Let's listen and find out uh, exactly when it's coming on, though. I would sure like to see that. Natural skin like Ma Rainey was the real-life mother of the blues. 
whose cabaret-style tent shows in the 1920s South led her to a lucrative recording career. Ma sang from her gut and proudly declared her bisexuality in her lyrics. Viola Davis swivels into the character, a diva with heft, a role she didn't see herself playing at first. No, I, I did not. I, here's the thing about acting. It's a weird Peter Pan syndrome that happens. So I still saw myself as that 19-year-old girl going, I can't play Ma Rainey. I'm too young. Oh, you got to get a more formidable actress who's been out there for 40, 50 years until I realized, Viola, you're actually a little bit older than what Ma Rainey is. They don't care nothing about me. Davis has been out there, acting for three decades. First on stage. Ugh, you're talking like a college kid. Then in a string of films as the best friend, the junkie, the widow. Let me go check in the kitchen. The maid. And they're going to treat me the way I want to be treated, no matter how much it hurt them. But Ma is different. Where's my Coke? I need a Coke, Coca-Cola. Take this scene. Before recording tracks on a sweaty summer day, Ma demands that the white guys profiting from her music first bring her a Coke. Let's do this one song. I'm too cheap to buy me a Coca-Cola. Did you get all that Coke down in one take? Yes, I did. Mm. Yeah, I drank the whole Coke. Yes. What's really going on in that scene? What's really going on is it's not about the Coke. It's about what I deserve. It's about what I've worked for and what I've earned. What you all say don't count with me, you understand? If Ma Rainey was unapologetic about her worth, Viola Davis took a while to get there herself, nudged along by the late playwright August Wilson, the man who wrote her breakout stage role, Vera, in the 1996 Broadway production of Seven Guitars. You might have been in love. Love don't know no age and it don't know no experience. What about my life? What about me? Fifteen years later, her layered portrayal of devoted wife Rose Maxson in another Wilson classic, Fences, Earned Davis first a Tony Award. I've been right here with this boy. And then an Oscar in the film adaptation. What is it about August Wilson that clearly resonates so deeply with you? First of all, he creates real human beings. And he makes the most common black man, black woman, kings and queens. But I think that there's a common understanding that when you have playwrights and writers like Arthur Miller and Eugene O'Neill, and Edward Albee and Shakespeare, that they're writing a universal language because they're white. I think I, that you could see yourself in an August Wilson play. I do. You, you don't get to meet Shakespeare. You don't get to meet Tennessee Williams. You met August Wilson. What, what was the most memorable thing he ever said to you? That I was beautiful. It was during Seven Guitars. She has a monologue that absolutely is like an aria. And he said he would always watch it, and he would always say, Viola, you are just so beautiful. And um, I don't know. I never felt feminine. I never felt like I could fit into that sort of confines of what it meant or the stereotypical ways of what being a woman was about until I did Seven Guitars. How to get away with murder. For the last six years, Davis pushed the boundaries of femininity on the small screen as criminal defense lawyer Annalise Keating in How to Get Away with Murder. 
once famously removing her wig and makeup on camera. Did you know in advance of the role that that scene was coming? Yes, because I told them that they had to write it for me. They had to Absolutely. write that scene? Absolutely. I wanted to humanize her as much as I could, and I wanted to put my stamp on her as much as I could. In her work, Davis will choose reality over vanity every time. She strips away any veneer in telling her own story, too. She grew up in Central Falls, Rhode Island, one of six children in a family gripped by poverty. There was one apartment that we lived in that was just infested with rats. They were everywhere. They were in the cabinets. They were in the walls. They were under our beds and just never having any food. You speak very openly about growing up in poverty. Yeah. Why do you do that? I do that because I think that there's a lot of shame involved with poverty, that you wouldn't be poor if you did the right thing. When you're poor, what happens is it seeps through your mind. It's not just a financial state. It's an invisibility state. It's a worthlessness state. As a girl, she dealt with these feelings in part by creating alter egos, an early exercise in slipping into character. Who are Jaji and Jaja? Ja, 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 gee, darling. They were our imaginary friends, me and my sister Dolores, who were the closest in age. And we would play these, like, two rich white women from Beverly Hills. <laughs> we would imagine all these fabulous dishes that we would be eating. And at the same time, as a way to escape our lives into these sort of shadow characters who were everything that we weren't. By the time she got to high school, Davis was calling herself an actor and imagining herself on a professional stage. I needed something to catapult me out of this, like a, like a rocket booster. The dreams, they couldn't be casual dreams. Did you know you had talent deep down? Oh, yeah. You did? Absolutely. She studied theater in college and then got a scholarship to Juilliard the exclusive performing arts conservatory in New York City. What was Juilliard like for you? Juilliard, I compared it to Mucinex. Mucinex the drug? Mucinex, yeah, the cough syrup. Mucinex, it works. <laughs> but it tastes really bad going down. <laughs> they critique your body, your personality, your speech, everything. So what is that like to hear? This isn't, Viola, you're not a particularly good dentist. This is you. It's devastating. She came into her own on theater stages around the country. Scorching and illuminating were among the raves critics lavished on her early performances. You played this house. I sure did. Despite recent foot surgery, Davis kept her date with us at the Amundsen Theater in Los Angeles, where she performed in the 90s. This is really cool. Oh, man, I know. The stage still fills her with awe. What's the first thing that goes through your head when you're on a stage? Wow. It's that big rush of adrenaline. This theater's been dark for almost nine months now. Yeah. To what extent do you worry about the performing arts? I worry about the performing arts all the time, even before COVID. I know acting is not rocket science. I really do. But it's an art form, and it has its place. We need people to feel. We need people to know that they're not alone. That's what the theater does. Look, sister, I don't want any trouble. The stage actress vaulted to Hollywood star when she stole a scene from Meryl Streep in the 2008 movie Doubt. You'd hurt my son to get your way. It won't end with your son. Throw the priest out then. 
I am trying to do just that. Then what do you want from me? Was there added pressure playing alongside Meryl Streep? What do you think? <laughs> and you know she's going to bring her game. So you have to match it. You just want to look like you belong in the movie. <laughs> The performance, remarkable as much for what it holds back as what it reveals, made such an impression that Streep lobbied for Davis by name at the Screen Actors Guild Awards. Viola Davis, my God, somebody give her a movie! That must have knocked you over. I mean, that must have... Oh, my God. It was everything. As bigger roles came her way, Davis says she still felt stalled. She's been critical of Hollywood for providing too few opportunities to black actors and for assuming movies with black leads won't sell. And even after you so-called have made it, it's still a fight every single day. And what we're fighting as African-Americans, we're fighting the movie-making business that has already decided who you are and how you're marketable. I could deal with you if you're just a part of the story, but you're just a secondary part of the story. You're not the main focus. You don't seem to feel better. You seem because that's the way you understand it, life. Davis is unmistakably the main focus of her latest film, even if the character she plays doesn't get top billing on history's call sheet. There wasn't a lot of material on this woman. There are not so many photographs. This is one, probably the best known one. Yep, I love this one. I love this picture because I'm always wondering, who is she? Who is she really? Beyond the gold teeth, beyond the sereneness you see in this. What do you think? She's a combination of a woman from her time period, which is right in the smack dab in Jim Crow, feeling worthless, but at the same time knowing who she was deep inside. Just because I say yes, it don't mean I spooked up by him. I know what I'm doing. Ma Rainey also marks the final performance of Chadwick Boseman, who died of colon cancer last August. got to be We were just watching a great artist absolutely give himself over to a role, which is what you do. You give yourself, you sacrifice yourself. Since the pandemic, Davis has repaired to her home in the San Fernando Valley, which she shares with her 10-year-old daughter and her husband, Julius Tennant. An actor himself, Tennant appreciates the depths Davis can go in her work. This woman's getting ready to do Ma Rainey, and she's showing me a fat suit. She's going, honey, my fat suit. She's excited about the transformation. I mean, that's the epitome of an actor who really wants to disappear. And Viola disappears uh, when she's working. There's a few other small changes in there. I don't think Together, they run Juvie Productions, which pushes projects the studios uh, might otherwise ignore. Uh, the latest movie in their pipeline, it's about a real-life all-female army in West Africa. Tell me about the Woman King. Oh, man. <laughs> I always wanted a black female Braveheart. This is it. The movie is set to start filming next year. I'd love the position. This performer, who toiled for decades, waiting for Hollywood to catch up to her talent, is now calling the shots. How do you take the measure of this journey you've been on? I have to say two things. Number one, I always have to tell myself that I'm not poor anymore, that I'm not that girl anymore. But at the same time, I have to honor that young girl and allow her to squeal with delight at the 55-year-old she gets to become. That's an acknowledgement of the whole journey.
Absolutely. What up, what up? It's hammer time! <laughs> Yo, I, I'm a, I might be the most hype person in the whole entire revolt uh, building right now. This is MC Hammer, the legend himself, East Oakland's finest, you know what I'm saying? And, it, and, it, and it's been an honor and a pleasure to watch you and then, and then uh, to have you here today is, a, is an actual dream of mine and it's coming to fruition. So everybody, you know what I'm saying, that's tuning in, I want y'all to welcome MC Hammer himself, MC right, Hammer right. in the building. How did you get the name MC Hammer? That's basically my first question. Um, I, I think really, first of all, um, as a kid, mm -hmm. I looked like Hammer and Hank Aaron. Mm -hmm. So Hank Aaron's nickname was The Hammer. And Reggie Jackson saw me and he said, you know, I was out at Oakland A's ballpark, and he said, you look a whole lot like Hammer and Hank Aaron, so I'm gonna call you The Little Hammer. Mm -hmm. And uh, it stuck, it stuck. Yeah. And you and then also at that time you were outside of ballparks kind yeah. of dancing and uh you end up catching the attention of Charles Charles Charlie Friendly Charlie Friendly? Yeah, Charles O'Friendly. So Charles Yeah, I was actually uh my brothers worked for the A's. So okay. uh my two old brothers they, they worked in the clubhouse and one was a bad boy, but I was too young. So I was out there hustling tickets, getting them from the ball players, and then reselling them and all that. And uh by the Blue gave me a radio, and uh, a James Brown record came on, and I started dancing to the record. And at the time I was dancing to the record, Charles O'Finley, the, the uh, owner of the Oakland A's, came by and saw me dancing. He called me over there, and he said, uh, you know, you dance like a grown man. Right. Who are you? And I yeah. said, well, Mr. Finley, they called me the Hammer. They said right. I look like Hammer and Hank Aaron. Yeah. So he asked me, what do I do? I told him I get tickets from his players, and I go inside the uh, I go inside the parking lot, and I sell them, and then I go in the game. And uh, he looked at me and said, uh, you don't have to be my competition. Come work for me. And so I was like nine in, and I, you know, by the time I was 15, I was the youngest executive vice president uh, in Major League Baseball. I traveled with the team, went everywhere. We won three consecutive World Series, five uh, divisional championships. And Talk about it. So I was, you know, I got to see New York. You know, at nine, ten years old, yeah. Boston, traveling. So yeah, anyway, that's the story of uh, the name The Hammer. And then when I became, you know, a music artist, a friend of mine suggested, uh, rest in peace, that I utilize Hammer. So that's yeah. How'd you come up with the idea to mix music and dancing? Well, I always was dancing. Like I said, I was, yeah. you know, I had had the box. I had seen, uh, I had saw James Brown on Apollo. Mm -hmm. um, and he fell to his knees. I fell to, to my knees inside my living room. Mm -hmm. and I was mimicking everything the Godfather of Soul was doing, rest in peace. And, uh, and then right after that, you know, a couple of years after that, young Michael Jackson, when he was 10, uh, he came on, and I was inspired by what MJ was doing, mm -hmm. rest in peace. And, um, yeah, so I started dancing at four and five years old, and, and, yeah. and mm -hmm. I danced every day. It's always, no matter what else, whether I play sports, you know, baseball, boxing, football, whatever I did, yeah. Dancing was still a mainstay always, yeah. and, and uh, so it was always natural for me. Um, dancing is as natural as breathing. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like also when you when you came out with your music, uh, important thing was to not only have a dancing mix, but also like your ministry. You know, you also you also had a message in your music too to to basically have a lot of positivity, but also you were you also giving people the word. All, and, and simultaneously, was that like, what made you, um, you know, what was that, why was that important to you? 
Well, um, I grew up in a very negative environment, very negative uh, and violent uh, environment. Mm -hmm. So I viewed music as a way to escape. I didn't need to, uh, to take my music and recreate the same uh, tension uh, that was already happening, you know, around the house and in the streets. Yeah. So when I created songs, I wanted it to be a way for you to escape to places you've never been, to see things in your mind and pictures, you know, positivity and romance and love and uh, things that inspire you to want to do more. I wanted that in my music because as yeah. soon as I leave out or the music go off, it's gunshots, it's, yeah. it's fingers getting cut off, it's hustling at the highest level, it's, it's everything that you could imagine negative. So I wanted the music to take you away from that. That's why my music was always and remains uh, something positive. Yeah. Life, life has enough negativity in it on its own. Yeah. yeah, and I get that. Even to like this weekend, I'm playing all I'm playing all your hits for, for my daughter. She's two, my son, and they. And almost by the time the, the the second time the hook come around, she's like, oh, oh, like this, this it's two years old. I'm like, she just, you know, it, it, it's amazing just to see how it transcends and how the music continues to just it, it sticks. When you put something out there, it's like it sticks with people. Hammer man, hammer. Tia and her sister. Tamara, Tia, Tamara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had them on this. Oh, uh, wow. And I just, uh, I saw them at uh, at a movie premiere recently, and uh, we talked about this. You wow. know, now, uh, this was one of the first places they started. But also, again, I look at this cartoon, when I see it, I remember what I was trying to do. Yeah. Like, Hammer Man, he had magical shoes. Yeah. You know, and his thing was, again, Keep all them drugs away from the kids. Yeah. Um, the way I can, the way I can say this is that I, I hate uh, I hate hustling backwards. And what I mean by that is this: if I'm out in the streets hustling, that means I'm out here trying to get money to keep my lights on, hopefully, yeah. you know, to yeah. feed my family or whatever. I'm not I'm not out here glorifying the hustle. The hustle is necessary because I'm struggling, right? Mm -hmm. So when I say hustle backwards, I never support a man who glorifies the hustle. Don't 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 say like the hustle is the thing. The hustle is the tool. Yeah. And you're doing it. You're yeah. trying to get somewhere. Yeah. What I what I took my position was okay. But let's keep it away from the kids then. Yeah. By, but any way that we can keep this away from the youngsters, let's keep this away from the youngsters. Don't don't employ the youngsters. Don't encourage the youngsters. We we hustling to eat. Remember, we're not hustling to take a. 12-year-old or 11-year-old and change him into something that he'll never be able to get out of or he'll end up getting 10, 15 years or dying. That ain't what we're doing. We're yeah. hustling to try to feed our family. So with this cartoon, I always was reminding everybody, you know, protect the children, help the children, you know, and, uh, and don't hustle backwards. You know, if you're doing what you're doing, do what you got to do. Don't try to put a, you know, a 20 on a 10. Yeah. You know, you can't, yeah. you, 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 we don't want to do that because we're sending the wrong signal. We don't glorify the hustle. We want to see our kids grow up 
be productive citizens, live life, travel the world, and see the world. And that's what I was trying to do with the Hammer Man cartoon, continue yeah. along that line. Yeah, definitely. And it affected, and it went around the world. And um, and also you had um, endorse. You know, one of the artists that that really got into endorsements. And a lot of artists, you know, want to be affiliated with different brands. How um, how were you able to transition into getting into endorsements as an artist? Well, I was encouraged by uh, the sports. So by growing up with Reggie Jackson, Vida Blue, the Oakland A's, all those World Series. Reggie had a bar. You know, mm -hmm. he had the Reggie bar. He had a he had a shoe deal with uh, Puma. Somebody else, uh, it, was a, it was a gentleman that was starting a company called Nike back mm -hmm. then. And he was sending Nikes uh, to the Oakland A's clubhouse. So all of us, we had tons of Nikes, all the kids. And so I knew that, you know, athletes always get, you know, uh, endorsement deals, right? Yeah. So I just said, if a football player plays 16 games or 14 at that time, 14 games a year with his helmet on, you can't even see him, and he gets an endorsement deal. Success isn't just about where you want to get to. It's also about how you get there. Cut on rehearsal. The all-new 2021 Cadillac Escalade. A musician that's on a video, that's on a channel, is on 365 days a yeah. year. Yeah. A football player is only on 16 games. That's once a month. That's four times a month. Four months. I'm on 365 days a year. So I'm going to say to whoever, Pepsi, you know, whoever, yeah. you should do a deal with me and give me more money because I'm going to be on TV more and you, you get, a, you get more, more bang for your buck. So that was what I said early on. I, yeah. I was just doing the natural application, of the practical application. Yeah. Uh, uh, your video come on 365 days a year and watch this multiple times a day. Right? When your yeah. video hot, you be on eight, ten times a day. Yeah, especially then when they had the box. Right, back right. In the day, you, you can order it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then on radio, if you're in heavy rotation, you're on three or four times an hour. Yeah. So imagine that. We were worthy of endorsements. Yeah. I was just saying, share the wealth with the entertainers, with the rappers, with hip-hop, with R&B, with, you know, with pop music. And, and so that's what I was pushing for. And uh, today, I was at a rapper's site the other day. It was so funny. Uh... <laughs> uh and he and he he only rap about the streets. But I went to his page, and he, the, the, his page got 20 endorsements, <laughs> all the way from top to bottom. And wow. he said, "This is how you do it." I was laughing. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You you paid the way. Definitely. That's the direction I wanted it to go in. This clip has been viral. Uh, be legit, actually. I got this from his page. Oh, oh. shout out to him. Be legit. Yeah, be legit. Yeah. Uh, be legit. Yeah. Sugar tea. So he's out here in the coast, kills it. He the real thing. What, he the real thing? Yeah, he the real thing. <laughs> you gonna break still, it down. Still got it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, once you got hammer feet, you keep it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he gonna break it down. He gonna break it down. Yeah. Ah. Oh, you yeah. put a little dab in there. Okay, yeah, yeah. Little, little, yeah. Little, there's nothing. Yeah. Ah. So that, and then, so, so to me, to make an Oprah lose her cool right there. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was amazing. And then, I love so, Oprah. so yeah, this clip went viral. And it's, I was listening to this Howard Stern interview with Ice T yesterday, and uh, he said something about 
I'm, I'm quote, paraphrasing, but he said that once music, the special thing about music is that it's like a time machine. Mm-hmm. It's a found a youth almost, and it takes you back to whenever. So when you play a song, it's gonna take you right back to that right. moment right. that you uh, that you played. And I feel like with him in that moment, he just went right back to to that to that moment. What is that? How does that? How does music uh, affect you in that way? Well, very similar. Um, uh, music in the brain, you know, music in the mind. Um, it, it, you can sing a melody, and immediately the brain will access photos, pictures, time, and place. Mm-hmm. That's the way the mind really works. And so that's why, you know, when you fall in love, and the, the songs that you played while you were in love for the rest of your life, whenever you play those, you think of that person that you were in love with at that time. Because the brain uh, is very sensitive to melody. And yeah. the brain is very sensitive, uh, sensitive to um, music in general. And so it uses it as, as one of its locators to search your files. So music activates the files and brings up the, the, the files in your soul. That's yeah. what music does. So yeah. it works that way for me, too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. so with that... Um, oh, yeah. but we okay. should say, yeah. since you mentioned earlier, you're from Oakland, and we did it like, like a throwaway. But, yeah. you know, you really... Yeah. From the town, from yeah, the town. yeah, from the and, town, yeah, and town. We, we should say that, it, you know, because it was, it was like, it, you know, from the town, and yeah, we got connected in in the town, yeah, and uh, uh, ten years, ten yeah, years it's ago. been ten years, been ten and, years. And, and the thing is, is that you, and that's amazing that you said that, because I, I feel like it's town biz, but Always. I feel like the thing is with 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 you in particular, it's like. It's a you. I feel like you like a benchmark for people that to inspire to from people from Oakland. So it's like when we say when we want to when we want to achieve certain things, especially in entertainment. It's uh-huh. like we want to get that we want to get that hammer cosign. And so from ten years ago, yeah. and then for me to be here at Diddy's Music Network and, to, and be able to be sitting here with you is just like it's, it's Diddy's it's, out. Yeah, yeah it's, it's Diddy's yeah, out right but there. But I was like, you know, this is. So you gave me an opportunity at this website. Shout out to the whole team, Jeffrey Aroni and everybody else. But there was it was an opportunity at Dance Jam. It was in the Silicon Valley, right, right. and I had a moment, and I and I I just felt like really amazed. It was an opportunity of a lifetime. No, it was I all say. good. It, yeah, was, it, was it was one of my uh, first um, social media companies that, that, that we started around yeah. dance. Yeah, and, you and, not every, and not everybody knows, but you uh, you actually a tech geek. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's another episode. So yeah. we got two other complete things to do on another day. One, one is me and actual Diddy, because um, when I'm when I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about a whole whole lot. You know, yeah. what I'm saying? I, I, I knew Diddy used to be on my tours mm-hmm. when he was with Jodeci mm-hmm. before, like way back. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm saying '89, yeah, all the way through. Yeah. So uh, one day we're gonna sit right down here and, uh, and uh, go through something. A whole bunch of memories. Yeah. yeah. A whole bunch of memories. Oh, yeah. yeah, we would love to hear that because, yeah. so the, in the tech world. And we'll talk uh, tech later. Yeah. yeah. Go okay. ahead. I, was go like, ahead. I was like, what got you into it? What, what end up, how did you end up, because, you, you know, how did you get into tech? I got into tech because um, when the Max came early on, um, I'm, I'm going to try to do this without it sounding like, uh, you know, super geek. But um, so I wanted my videos to be the first videos that were going to be played over the Internet without degradation. Meaning this, they had, remember that sound they used to make when you played the video and you used to hear that, um, that loud beep? Okay. That was the, the dial tone connecting to the internet. Yeah. So your computer used to have 14K dial-up. Mm. That was like AOL back in the day. It was impossible for you to really see videos on that. I wanted to know why. Why can't we see my videos like looking great over the internet? Yeah. So I went to Apple's research and development. I went to every company in the Valley that, was, that had the promise 
of putting video on the internet, and I found out what the challenges were. It was a thing called the last mile solution, compression technology, and copper wire. So we had to wait until somebody invented mm. fiber for, for, for the video yeah. to go across and get rid of the copper wire. And then who would pay for that, that connection to come from the curve to the house? Because that's real expensive. So anyway, to make a long story short, um, I ended up meeting these two young kids. They were 14 years old. And they said, Hammer, we're going to solve your problem. I said, what, what y'all going to do? They said, we're writing a code right now for a thing called QuickTime. And this quick time will make you be able to see videos over the internet. So uh, to all the youngsters out there watching, just know that the kids who, that quick time for Apple was actually written by a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old kid. Wow. And one of them still work at Apple, but I, I, I met them both back then. That's so nice. I became a geek out of necessity. I, I was in an um, a arms race with some of my heroes uh, musically. And when I, when, I, when, I, and when I say that, I mean, you know, some of the greatest creators, uh, MJ, rest in peace, Prince, um, rest in peace, Janet Jackson. Mm -hmm. These were artists who liked to make complete um, videos, you know, story, yeah, yeah. long forms. Yeah. And we all try to stay ahead of each other yeah, yeah. and compete in a fun way. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to be the first to get it right with video yeah. over the Internet before yeah, yeah. Prince do it or before Michael do it or before Janet do it. So anyway, shout out to, uh, to Janet. She's out of town today. She got a concert uh, in Europe. Or else I would have tried to get up on the stage on uh, Friday night for this Hammer Time 25. Yeah. I do want to get in that, but I do want to tell you about, I want to ask you one more thing about tech, and this is a big conversation now is the diversity in tech. And I wonder about, you know, being that you're so close to the Valley, how do, how do we get more people of color, uh, more diversity in the tech community? So um, we're at the beginning stages of really getting our children to understand the value. Yeah. The value, not as just a consumer, mm -hmm. but a value as being an owner, a value as utilizing tech as a tool, as a, as a tool to solve problems, right? To shorten the distance to, um, I got a friend that's doing uh, Bitcoin uh, over in uh, Africa right now. And one of the things that he does in the blockchain, which I'm, 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 I'm heavily invested in blockchain technology right now, but I'm saying he's using the blockchain and the farmers there now, instead of having to wait uh, for the buyers to come in, they can buy and transfer the money right there from the farm. And it goes into their account and it's available like with a wire transfer, next day, delayed. Money that comes across the blockchain is available immediately. And so he's using blockchain technology and Bitcoin to help farmers in Africa run a business. Yeah. Uh, and he's a brother from here. Went to uh, uh, one of the uh, historically uh, black colleges. But um, the idea, and it's, you know, to be short about it, is you have to understand that everything with tech is still available to you. So we got to encourage um, our youth, our college students, to want to be in tech. And then we can put the pressure on the tech business as well at the simultaneously for inclusion and diversity. Because one thing I can tell you about the tech guys, unlike a lot of businesses, they're not just they're not resistant to the idea of diversity. Yeah. We just gotta help them. We gotta push. That was MC Hammer. It's got it's got another hour to go, and I'm not gonna listen to it for another hour. 
but we'll come back to it. I hope you enjoyed it. Good day. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Bobby Womack. If you think you're lonely now.
Ladies and gentlemen, that was Bobby Womack. Bobby Womack is a soul R&B blues singer. And he actually, uh, let's see, he died at 70 years old. And it says here, soul singer and songwriter Bobby Womack, dead at 70. He died June the 28th, 2014. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, one month ago, Oprah Winfrey interviewed the President of the United States elect. And his name is Joe Biden. I have the full episode here, but we're not going to listen to the full episode, but we'll listen to some of it, okay? I am laid back, relaxed, got my heater fan going, and I am ready to listen. Oh, I hope you, I hope you are ready to listen as well. They got a commercial on here and we're not going to get that one in. I'm going to let that one slide. Okay. Here we go. I'm just having fun and we're going to listen, have a little listen, see what's going on. Because I know a lot of people missed it and I know I'm just not listening to it, so let's see what's going on. On Super Soul Sunday, former Vice President Joe Biden. You have no regret in the deepest, quietest, purest moments about not actually running. He's speaking for the first time on television about his highly anticipated and deeply personal new book, Promise Me, Dad, A Year of Hope, Hardship, and Purpose. What did having to revisit all of the major moments in your life teach you about where you are now? Regarded as one of the most influential vice presidents in history, Joe Biden reflects on this tumultuous period of American politics. A month out, I came back and said we're going to lose this election. He shares his family's spiritual and emotional journey after the heartbreaking death of his son, Bo. What happens in that moment when you can literally see the spirit goes someplace? His resilience in the face of public scrutiny. Uh, just just to get up and get knocked out just get up and why the decision not to run for president still weighs on him was i prepared to be able to give my whole heart my whole soul and all my attention to the endeavor and i knew i wasn't do you feel you could have beaten hillary So thank you for being here, Mr. I'm Vice President. I'm happy to be here. And coming all the way to California. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. It's always a pleasure to be here. I wanted to start with the moment that we all got to see you experience on CBS when you did the letter to yourself. I found that so moving. Last year you wrote a letter to your younger self that starts with, Dear Joe, your stutter is debilitating. It embarrasses you, and the bullies are vicious. But listen to mom when she says, bravery resides in every heart, and yours is fierce and clear. She did say that. Ah. 
I just thought, that's not an easy first sentence in the rest of the letter, as is your new book, Just as Personal. So what did coming to terms with writing this book and having to revisit all of the major moments in your life teach you about where you are now? Well, you know, uh, my mother used to say, and I thought it was so cruel at one point, especially when uh, I lost my wife and daughter and we walked out of the hospital late. Tractor trailer broadside and killed them. My two sons were badly injured. And she said, Joey, grab my hand. She said, Are there anything horrible? Something good will come if you look hard enough for it. But that was my mother's my mother's notion. We were taught to just just to get up. When you get knocked on, just get up and and uh, and move forward. And talk about how, you know, so many people without the kind of help that I had do it every day, right, right today. If somebody has gone through something significantly worse than me, and they have nobody behind them, and they're getting up and they're moving, and it gives me such overwhelming confidence in 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 people, the ability to absorb mm-hmm. pain and the spiritual reassurance that comes from knowing they're still a part of you. Would you say that that is one of the most important spiritual characteristics to have? that is to keep getting up. Absolutely, absolutely. Because, you know, it's, uh, but it, I'm not saying it's easy. I have to admit to you, there have been a couple times uh, in my, uh, well, one in particular in my life where I've actually lost my faith, where I went through a period of thinking, how could this be? I mean, why, you know, like the why me piece. Mm-hmm. My dad, who was a wonderful, well-read, graceful, high school educated guy said champ where where where's it written that life owes you living man i know but it doesn't make you feel any better in the moment well what it what it makes it makes you at least in my family my mother thought the greatest virtue of all was courage and because it allowed all the other virtues to exist from the time i was a kid not a joke my mother go look at me joey Uh look at me remember you're defined by your courage Wow. And you're redeemed by your loyalty. Look at me, Joey. And it was this notion that, that you could do anything because there's this notion in, in my faith, my family, that, that those you lose remain a part of you. Uh-huh. Um, but it's hard to get there. It's hard to get to the place where uh, a memory brings a smile to your lip before it brings a tear to your eye. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a hard thing to go through, but I was lucky. I always had... Uh, You've been through it. A few times. A lot of people have been through it. Yeah. In 1972, just weeks after winning his first race for Senator of Delaware, Vice (laughs) President Biden's first wife, Nelia, and his 13-month-old daughter, Naomi, were killed in a car accident. Mm -hmm. His sons, Hunter and Bo, were aged three and four at the time. They were injured but survived. In 2015, Bo Biden, a decorated war veteran and Delaware's attorney general, lost his battle with brain cancer. Bo was 46 years old. So when you get that call and you're living in that space of disbelief that this has actually happened, and you think that this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to you, but you have somehow been trained by your parents, by your belief system, to 
look for the opportunity within every tragedy, but that doesn't come easy. No, no, it doesn't. Look, I mean, I still have, uh, I, I still find myself when I talk about my beau, my, my son. Yeah. I sometimes uh, find myself say something about it and I can't handle it. I start to, I break down. Um, so it's not like it, it, it ever, the pain ever goes away. But what, you, what I do is I look at my grandson, his son. Mm -hmm. I see him. I look at my granddaughter. I see her. And I know he's still here. I know he's still, he's still with me. But when you lost Naomi, your baby daughter, in the car accident with your first wife, no preparation, the shock of it, the horror of it. It's quite different, isn't it, when you have had some preparation knowing that Bo was sick for a while? Or is it? It's different, uh, and it's probably different for every person. But for me, when what happened to my wife and daughter happened, um, I, had, uh, I had a reason um, to live. I had a reason to invite these two little boys who were in the hospital. And, you know, I said at the time, I probably should never said it all those years ago, I said, I can understand how someone can be completely, thoroughly sane and commit suicide and decide that, look, I've been to the top of the mountains. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting there again. I had it all, and it was just, you know, mm -hmm. so long. But, um, but I had those two boys, and ironically, uh, they ended up raising me, Oprah. Not a joke. I mean, to this day, my son, Hunter, who's part of my soul, if uh, we walked off out of here and he'd say, hey, Dad, can I get you anything? He'd come up and give me a kiss. He's 45 years old, the smartest guy I know. He'd give me a kiss. Dad, do you need anything? You OK, Dad? Calling me, asking me. They lost their mother. They lost. So there was reinforcement watching someone who you adore, who really is part of your soul. I mean, yeah. not, not a, not hyperbole. Uh, watching him go through with such grace, but such awful pain, um, dying, knowing that the likelihood that he was going to be able to survive was virtually non-existent. So we got the diagnosis of Bo. Um, he had stage four glioblastoma of the brain. Nobody. Mm. And so, and he, and he, he but he, here's the kind of key. Five-year-old man. He was the attorney general of the state of Delaware. He was a bronze star, a decorated war veteran. He uh, didn't have to go and volunteered to go for a year. He volunteered to go to Kosovo as a Justice Department in the middle of Pristina, in the middle of the war. He, I mean, this, 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 this was a kid who was just absolutely everything about him was a sense of duty and obligation. You know what struck me about what I read about him is that he's going to a celebration of Iraqi war veterans and he won't even wear his... Yeah, he wouldn't put on his... He wouldn't put he on his, put his medals. medals. He, he got a call from General Ordierno. Yeah. Said, Bo, this is an order. Captain, put on your, your medals. medals. First time ever put them on. Wow. When he went to Bronx, he said, Dad, don't tell anybody. Yeah. Don't tell people about this, okay? When he okay. won the bronze medal, well, he said, he don't it. tell anybody. No, no, he didn't tell me till he got home. Uh, so, but and when he went into service, he said, I don't want to use the name Biden. You know how they all have? Yeah. Uh, I, I've been in and out of Iraq and Afghanistan 28 times. So I got to see him when he was there on three different occasions. And 
That's right. He would not wear the, you know, they have their name. Right. He would. He got permission to wear to, to have another name. I think he used Hunter, his mother's maiden name. You know, but he wouldn't use Biden because he did not want to be treated in any different way. So. Well, I got to search for me another song, and I usually listen to it with my earphones on, but I guess I let y'all listen to a little bit of it too. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, these songs here have been arranged in a playlist by me. And what I'm going to do is let you listen with me if you want to. You can listen with me and every last one of these songs have something in common. That's right, every last one of these songs have something in common. And I'm going to let it play, let them play, while I play Candy Crush. That's right, I'm going to be listening to these songs and playing Candy Crush all at the same time. That's right, so... Before I started my podcast, I would have my earphones on listening to music. But now, guess what? You can join in too. Isn't that nice? All right. I'm going to cut it on and let you listen. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Gregory Abbott. Mr. Gregory Abbott.
yes, yes, yes. That is Mr. Gregory Abbott. Movie night starts in three, two, one. Blast off. <laughs> yes, I'm just looking on my YouTube. And guess what? Check this out now. I got a notification. And it said, and it said that my comment was highlighted, not liked, not liked, but well, but highlighted. And guess who on the channel? <laughs> Gregory Abbott, Mr. Abbott himself, owns the channel, and this is his channel. And I commented something. I ain't gonna tell you what it was, but I commented something, and he highlighted it. So. It that made my night. I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. So I'm going to listen to him just one more time now. Because I remember when that song came out. Everybody just kept playing that song over and over. I forget what year it came out. If you know what year it came out. Um, leave me a message. I hope you you're able to leave me a message. I think you are able to see if you can. I might have to go in my settings and adjust some things, but you should be able to send me a message and let me know a voice message and let me know. I still don't know how it worked. Just send me a message and let me know uh what year did this song come out, okay. I would appreciate it. I think it was something somewhere around. Uh, I want to say I want to say eighty five, nineteen eighty five or eighty six, somewhere around in there. But I'm finna listen to this again. Yes, 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 yes. Make sure all the mics are on. Just a second. Alright. Okay, here we go again. Hang tight.
Thank you, thank you, thank you. See, you have some, you have some stand-up uh, artists out there that will acknowledge their fans. I really do appreciate that, Mr. Abbott. You have a good day. Everybody have a wonderful night. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a song here by the one and only Mr. Smokey Robinson. Yes, Smokey, Smokey, Smokey. song i am i am i am that's the name of it i am i am it came out in 1975 and i heard it for the first time today while i was washing dishes yes i was in the kitchen washing dishes and i heard it for the very first time and i'm trying to figure out how i got in my playlist but i guess i must have stuck it in there to 
listen to it to see what it was about and guess what i like it i just about like anything he come out with but he came out with just about but this is my first time hearing this yes 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 and let's see he got one comment let's see what it says they said big respect to mr smoky robinson og of the game one love Okay. Let me see that he like it though. He got two likes, but I don't see no nothing highlighted. But he got two likes. All right. Uh, I'll let you hear a little more, and then I'm gonna play me some jam, some more jams that I that I particularly like myself. Um, I spent a little more time with y'all tonight and everything. Maxwell on him, fortunate, you know, I, you know, I think Maxwell just crazy about me, I might be wrong, but I think he crazy about me, Maxwell, if you're out there, honey, give me a call, okay, because you know what, I think you are a great guy, you know, Someone to miss 
Tell them about it, baby. Excellent talent. That's talent. That ain't nothing but talent. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a song here by the one and only Mr. Smokey Robinson. Yes, yeah, Smokey, Smokey, Smokey.
All right, all right. How many of you have heard that song, I Am, I Am, I Am? That's the name of it, I Am, I Am. It came out in 1975, and I heard it for the first time today while I was washing dishes. Yes, I was in the kitchen washing dishes, and I heard it for the very first time. And I'm trying to figure out how I got in my playlist, but I guess I must have stuck it in there to listen to it to see what it was about. And guess what? I like it. I just about like anything he come out with, but he came out with just about. But this is my first time hearing this. Yes, yes, yes. And let's see. He got one comment. Let's see what it says. They said, big respect to Mr. Smokey Robinson, OG of the game, One Love. Okay. Let me see that he like it, though. He got two likes, but I don't see no nothing highlighted. But he got two likes. All right. Uh, I'll let you hear a little more, and then I'm going to play me some jams, some more jams that I, that I particularly like myself. Um. I spent a little more time with y'all tonight and everything. Categorize my playlist. He was upon the the angel songs. Yeah, he he was upon the angel songs and everything. So let me see uh, what's next. I got Maxwell on him. Fortunate, you know. I you know, I think Maxwell just crazy about me. I might be wrong, but I think he crazy about me. Maxwell, if you're out there, honey, give me a call, okay? Because you know what? I think you are a great guy.
Tell them about it, baby.
Excellent talent. That's talent. That ain't nothing but talent. All right. 